Acts chapter 15. And this is probably one of the, I, I see this quite often, this is one of the pivotal, pivotal moments in the book of Acts. Chapter 13 was one of them where two men are called to be missionaries and head off on missionary journeys. And this is another pivotal moment in, in the foundation of Christianity here. The, 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 the whole thing really takes a big turn and all by the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 15, I want to talk to you about the Macedonian call. And uh, Acts chapter 15, start there in 15 and verse 36. Some days, we read this several weeks ago, but let's review it. Some days after they had been up in Antioch, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. So they finished one expedition traveling through what we call modern day Turkey. Back then it was Asia Minor. And they come back after several months and now it's been a year and they says, let's do it again. So, uh, uh, this is their second missionary expedition, I'm calling it. And in this next expedition, they're going to split up into two groups. Each person, Paul and Barnabas, taking somebody with them. Barnabas takes his nephew, John Mark. Paul takes a man named Silas with him. And they are a mighty army of four. <laughs> Started with two. And then they became four. And God does that. I wonder where it's going to end if two become four and four become eight. I wonder how this is going to, end. it works just fine. God multiplies folks. Now they're traveling throughout modern day Turkey. Go to chapter 16, verse one. Then came he to a place called Derby and Lystra. Behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus. That was his Greek name. The son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. Here they pick up Timothy. And they start to establish, jump down to verse 4, the churches that they had, they had planted a year before. Now, there's a difference between starting a church and establishing the church. And um, uh, they're going back to the, the people that had, that had heard them preach and had come under conviction and had cried out for salvation. And now that Paul says, I'm burdened, let's go see how they're doing. And it says, verse 4, they went through the cities. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders, which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches. And here's the key word established in the faith. And they increased in number daily. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see people getting saved every day. I mean, we put a lot of work into that, that camp. If you had come, if you'd seen all that stuff, but we saw five saved. It takes effort, folks. The longer we go into this age and the darker things are, it just takes more work. But boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if every week we saw somebody saved? If every day we saw somebody saved. Now, establishing, when it says establishing, means that Paul and Barnabas had to take these new Christians and anchor them in Jesus Christ. Because people were going around saying, no, you're not quite anchored until you're circumcised. Remember that from a couple of weeks ago? There are people still today who say, you're not truly anchored. You're not truly a Christian until you're baptized. You're not truly a Christian until you've joined the church. You're not truly Christian until you've spoken in tongues. There are a zillion things that everybody wants you to get anchored in. You know what? They're all wrong. You need one rock, Jesus Christ. Amen. That is all you need. Now, listen, getting baptized is right. It's an important thing to do after you're saved. Join the church is right. Giving is right. Going soul winning is right. Man, tell you what. We, we, we put all that stuff 
into the process of getting saved and clean. And that's not where it belongs. Jesus Christ is our rock. And if you do nothing else the rest of your life, which is a shame and a waste, you're anchored in Jesus Christ. That is so revolutionary. People can't comprehend just how valuable, how priceless the gift of salvation is. They, they then taught them that the scriptures were sufficient. They went around there handing them pieces of paper saying, this is what the Bible says do. They handed them the Old Testament. They were At that point, they were making copies of what Jesus said and taught and did. And they passed around. And Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy were all saying, that's all you need. You don't even need Paul anymore. Paul would go to an area and then leave and says, I leave you with the word of God. Scriptures is how the scriptures establish a church. If you're waiting for me to have a vision or a dream, if you're waiting for me to have indigestion for, for you to know what to do next, then you're lost, folks. You need one book and you already have it. Amen. This is a church where everybody has a Bible in your hand, I hope. You don't go to church just to listen to the guy at the front or in some churches, the woman. You go because you are checking out what is being said and making sure it's in the word of God. We also learned that they taught Christians to establish a church. We have to limit our liberties. That means when everybody else is going to the beach on Sunday, where are we? We're in church. We limit our liberties because people need us to be right with God. Our family needs us to be right with God. Our coworkers on Monday morning need us to have had some time with God on Sunday. We limit our liberties. Sure, you can go to the beach on Sunday. You're not going to go to hell. But when it's time for church, we limit our liberties for the lost so that my heart's right. So that, hey, I just don't, hey, did you know you can, as a Christian, you can smoke and you're not going to go to hell. You'll die quicker. But can you imagine trying to witness to people with a cigarette out of your mouth? It just doesn't work. So we limit our liberties. That establishes a church. <clears throat> By the way, established churches don't change with the times either. If it's established, it's solid. You know what I keep preaching? What I preached when I first started preaching 30 some odd years ago. As an established church keeps doing what it's always been doing, and we're doing what Jesus started. That's what it established. I see new churches, new ways of doing stuff all the time, and I go, why? Jesus said this was what makes us different. So they come along and they say, where do we go next? After they had gone to all of those churches, Chapter 16 now in verse 6, we're going to pick up here. They're going to get backed into a corner. Verse 6, 16, 6 says this. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden, underline these words, of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, at least in that part of Asia. All of a sudden in verse 6, it says they're going along, they're walking by faith, and that is how a Christian lives. And they're going from place to place. And city after city, house after house, region after region, the, 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 the work of the gospel never ends. We were talking, by the way, <clears throat> on Friday with some of the teens afterwards. And uh, several of the kids said, what's on for next year? <laughs> and I just wanted to hide. Because <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, Gavin says, wow, you've got a, you've got a, Student one up next year. I went, no, I'm just going to do my best. But, you know, it's never ending. As long as I have breath, I want to serve the Lord. We just keep going. That's walking by faith. But did you notice 
as they're traveling along, they leave Antioch, they're going through what we call modern day Turkey, and they're headed up in one direction, up towards what we call Phrygia and um, <clears throat> the, re uh, the northern region of Galatia. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost. That is, that's amazing to me. Because usually the Holy Spirit spends a lot of effort trying to motivate us. Amen. <laughs> I mean, what a thing. The Holy Spirit's constantly saying, get going. You ever seen somebody <clears throat> and, um, uh, you know, on a, you know, a bunch of kids all on the line and you say, three, two, one, go. And there's almost all of them going. And one person's there looking around and go, go, get going. You know, you're trying to motivate them. And the Holy Spirit is usually trying to get us to start. But here, the Holy Spirit was stopping them, hindering them, blocking them like a roadblock in the road. The Bible actually says that they were forbidden. And that's new. Normally, it was governments and crowds and stonings that blocked them. There were religions that blocked them. But Paul and Silas clearly understood the Holy Spirit did not want them going a certain direction, going to another, to a certain area. And uh, let me say, give you a newsflash, folks. The Holy Spirit influence us, influences us. You may not know it, but the Holy Spirit does. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit does pull, does push, does get in the way and hinder us as Christians. Go to Acts chapter 8. You're in 15. Go back to the left. Find Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> Acts 829. Eunuch's ready to get baptized. He's hearing the gospel, and he's just so excited. He says, I want to get baptized. Verse 20. Um, well, I'm going to start there. Oh, is that where I want to start? No. Yeah, okay, start there in verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip. Oh, I, I was ahead. I got another thought. We'll come back to Acts 8 in a minute. But anyway, then the Spirit said unto Philip. He's directing him. Go near and join thyself to this chariot. This is... If you remember, when he meets the eunuch, he's in the middle of the desert. Only the Holy Spirit could tell him where to go in the middle of nowhere and find a man on a chariot looking at the scriptures, looking for God. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit directed his life. Look in chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 and verse 12. <clears throat> this is Peter speaking about when he was directed to go and talk to Cornelius. Verse 12, and here we go again. The Spirit bade me, commanded me to go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house, into Cornelius' house. Look in chapter 13, Acts 13. I'm saying it again. Newsflash, the Holy Spirit influences God's people. Chapter 13, verse 2. <clears throat> the list of names in verse 1, certain people, including Barnabas and Saul. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and they fasted, look who talks. Not the preacher, not their parents, but the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work were unto I have called them. Keep going, verse 3. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, they departed on their first missionary expedition to Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. When you got saved, God gave you another voice in your soul. It's the Holy Spirit. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He calls him the Holy Ghost for a reason. A ghost is the spirit of a person. 
And so Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'll stay with you. Do you remember him saying that? I and the Father will be with you. How's he going to be with me physically? He can't be. He can be beside me. But he actually is inside me when he, in the form of the Holy Spirit. That Trinity comes true where the Holy Spirit is the person of Jesus Christ in me now, talking to me, guiding me, influencing me, just as he promised. He seeks to guide your decisions, as I'm going to show you in a few moments. Look at Isaiah. I know you're in Acts. Hold your place in Acts. I need you to go back to Isaiah. <laughs> Wonderful scripture. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Isaiah 30, verse 21. And thine ears, Isaiah 30, 21. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, what's the word saying? This is the way. Walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left, it's a great illustration. He's describing, I want to go this way. And there's a voice saying, no, 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 this is the way. Oh, okay. And then I want to go this way. And the Holy Spirit, there's a voice saying, no, 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 this way. That is what we have. And yet we don't hear it. We don't listen. We're not sensitive to it. He is an influence in the life of the believer. But I'll say this also, that Satan is also an influencer. I've been amazed at how they call all these TikTok people and YouTube and Instagram people. What do they call them? Influencers. Isn't that something? Yeah. Well, the first two big influencers was the Holy Spirit and the devil. Uh, first Thessalonians, go to the right of Acts. First Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Not everything that goes in comes into your head came from you. Some people, they get suicidal. They want to jump off a building. They didn't come up with that thought. Amen? So don't sit there and go, oh, uh, I'm just going to quit my job, and I'm going to go live in a tent, and I'm going to eat, you know, boiled grass. Okay. You can do whatever you want, but you didn't get that from the Holy Spirit. There are other spirits in this world. Amen? Paul and, I'm sorry, Peter and John got influenced by a spirit where they wanted to call down fire and burn up all the Samaritans. <laughs> there are times where Peter rebuked Jesus. I, man, can you imagine doing that? And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. All right. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. Paul says, wherefore we would have come unto you in Thessalonica, even I, Paul, once and again, but who hindered us? Satan hindered us. He influenced us. So we've got to be discerning, folks. First Thessalonians, sorry, First Corinthians now. I know I've got you going around in your Bible, but it's good for you. First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. 2, 14. <clears throat> you say, I don't have a voice in me. I just do whatever I want. Then you're unsaved. You say, well, I prayed a prayer. If you have no Holy Spirit pulling you, convicting you. Notice one of his works is to hinder us from doing wrong. And if he doesn't seem to stop you or try and stop you, I'd be very afraid. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, because the Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. It, just, it, it, does, it goes right over your head. It misses you. You don't get it. Your, your receiver is switched off, they used to say. 
for they are foolishness unto him. If you come to church and you think I'm the biggest fool ever, well, you're partially right. I'm a fool for Christ. But if you think I'm foolish and what I preach is foolish, listen to what the Bible says. The natural man, the unsaved, the man that's only born naturally receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. You'll never understand them because they are only what? Spiritually discerned. Satan is a spiritual influencer and we need to learn discernment. Go back to Acts chapter 16. Now, if you come to a roadblock, what do you normally do? You quit and go home? No, you look for another road. You look for another route. And so you change directions. That's exactly what they did. Verse chapter 16 and verse 7. <clears throat> Acts 16 and verse 7. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed. That's an old word for it. They attempted. They strove to go into Bithynia. Here's those words again. But the Spirit suffered them not. What a freaky thing. The Holy Spirit stopped them again. I don't know if you'd get frustrated in America. Uh, we have a game called American Baseball. And that ball comes at you. If you miss once, you get another try. You miss twice, you've only got one more shot. They call it three strikes and you're. So Paul's feeling kind of discouraged. He says, I've tried two different directions. The Holy Spirit won't let me go forward. And it's frustrating to him. I like how verse 7, it says <clears throat> uh, that they're, they're trying to keep going. And, and then the Holy Spirit stops them. Let me talk to you for a moment about how does the Holy Spirit stop you? Because maybe you don't realize when he is trying to stop you. So let me ask you to ask yourself this. I wish I could sit down next to you and ask you these questions, but I'm going to ask it from here. You try and answer these questions in your heart. Number one, does the Holy Spirit of God ever try and stop you from doing something? I mean, stop you when you want to. Does the Holy Spirit ever grip you and you're reaching for that uh, that phone and you're going to pull up that site and the Holy Spirit just makes you shake? You know, I'm not going to go to that site. I'm not going to be looking at that porn. I'm not going to be calling that friend. There's a voice inside of me. There's a grip. Inside. Does the Holy Spirit, has he, has he ever stopped you? Or do you just rail right on through like there's no, no tomorrow? Does he ever try and stop you from saying something? You ever said something? You go, I can't believe I said that. But wasn't there a voice going, don't say it. Don't, uh, you said it. <laughs> if you are doing something sinful or, or about to, you better believe the Holy Spirit, remember his first name is Holy. You better believe he's trying to stop you. He's not like your friends who just, when you go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go smoke this, this hash. And your friends go, yeah, go ahead and be stupid. But they don't stop you. The Holy Spirit never lets you just go on and do your own sin. He will convict and he will, he will humble you and he will pull on you and you will fight and resist and grieve him. If that doesn't happen, you ought to be very afraid. You know, the Holy Spirit of God pulls and tugs at the hearts of hardened Christians. Why? To save them from divorce, to save them from a shipwrecked faith, to save them from the cults. There are Christians who end up in the cults. Don't tell me the Holy Spirit didn't pull on them and say, no, don't get caught up in that. 
if the Holy Spirit didn't pull on them, I have to question their salvation. Amen. <clears throat> if the Holy Spirit doesn't stop you from sinning, doesn't try and stop you from sinning, that ought to terrify you because you're either super hardened against God, which is very dangerous. Study Pharaoh. Find out what the consequences of being hardened against God is. Or you're not saved, which is even more dangerous. Go to Romans chapter 8 <clears throat> to the right. Hold your place here in Acts 15, 16. Romans chapter 8 in verse 9. Romans 8, 9. <clears throat> but you're not in the flesh. What are you now? You're in the spirit, man. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Wow. Now, if any man had not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Somebody says, somebody says, you need to pray for the Holy Spirit. No, no. You need to pray and get saved. Because when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. And then I need to give him me. <laughs> he needs more of me. Because once I have the Holy Spirit, I is saved, done, finished, perfect job. Chapter four, chapter eight, verse 14 now. For as many as are not just filled with the spirit, but as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You know what we want? We want a genie God. We want a God that confirms to us. You're doing the right way, Craig. And he's, he's not like a modern parent. Oh, you're the best boy, Craig. Oh, Craig, I just think so proud of you. Craig, everything you do is just right. Oh, fantastic. Yes, that's what we want God to say. But what does the Holy Spirit say? Stop right there, bud. <laughs> that's what the Holy Spirit says. Don't say it. Don't do that. Don't look there. Don't think that. Don't keep thinking that same stupid, dark thought. The Holy Spirit's in there, not only pushing us in the direction he wants us to go, but pulling us from the directions that we want to go. So Holy Spirit, four ways the Holy Spirit stops us. Number one, by the scripture. By the scripture. You, I won't have you go there because we're going back and forth. Acts 8, when the eunuch and, and Philip are in the chariot and they're going along and he's talking to them and the, and the eunuch says, hey, here's water. What does hinder me? What's the word? What does hinder me to be baptized? And what does the Philip do? He quotes scripture. He says, only if thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest. He stops him with scripture, doesn't he? Because people want to do it yourself kind of religion. Pastor, I'll come to church when I want, when it's convenient. Pastor, I'll read my Bible when I, I'll read whatever Bible I want. Listen, you need to have scripture tell you what is right to do. Because that's how God first influences us. This book will tell you whether it's right or wrong to work on Sunday. Amen. This book will tell you whether it's right or wrong to sell alcoholic drinks. Amen. This book will tell you whether it's right or wrong to spend time with a single woman and you're married. Yeah. This book will tell you whether watching fornication on the TV is right or wrong. Scripture, you don't need me to stand by you. You don't need your mother. You need the book. Amen. By the way, your, your mother would beat you to death if she saw you doing what you normally are doing. Amen. You need to hear the words of this book and obey them. If you don't, there's a serious problem. It's like having no brake on your car. I don't know about you, but I came from the day where we fixed our own cars. Anybody else used to repair their own cars? Did anybody know what? Nobody, none of you have ever fixed your own cars? 
Oh my goodness, I am not that old. There's, I, I, Amanda's raising her hand. I'm going, did Amanda Ray fix her own car? No, Amanda, uh, Hannes did. But you know what that meant? We made mistakes. There's one time I bled the brakes and I put new brake fluid into the car. This was a long time ago. I was in Bible college and I was so proud of myself. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have YouTube. We had a book <laughs> that said, release this valve, fill this thing, pump this thing. Anyway, <clears throat> there's one last paragraph I forgot to read. I neglected to read. I didn't read. That meant to pump the brakes after you change the fluid. Okay. Some of you is going right over your head. I know. So I got in the car, started the car, drove down the road, and I went and I hit the brake pedal and went all the way to the floor. And I just kept going. That's most people's conscious conscience. There's no stopping. And that ought to scare you, just like it scared me when I realized I've got to stop. <laughs> and I began to pump real fast. And it slowly built up, and I was able to slow down. I put it in down in gears and so on. You got to understand, folks, this book ought to be able to stop us dead. If I'm doing wrong, it'll tell me I'm doing wrong. It'll tell me what to do is right. If we got this down right, that's 90% of the Christian life. Holy Spirit doesn't have to jump in your face when you've read it in the morning. Amen. Second way, second way is by mature spiritual discernment. We read it there in 1 Corinthians. They are spiritually discerned. Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 in verse 1. Mature men and women can tell when the Holy Spirit is saying go and when he's saying no. How many remember our missionary from last week? Remember him? Brother D'Amato? Uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, D'Amelia and um, his wife and stuff. I, I, I tell you, the first time I ever met a missionary, I met eight of them. <laughs> the missions conference, and I felt like a gerbil. But I wasn't running in the cage. The cage was spinning me. I felt completely out of sorts being with these people as they presented their burden, and they talked about places that had never heard the gospel, and they preached from their heart. And, and I discerned the Holy Spirit was talking to me. And I wasn't very spiritual. But it wasn't their voice I was hearing. It was some other voice saying, I want you. John chapter 10 and verse 1, Verily, verily, Jesus speaking, I say unto you, He that entereth not, in by, the, entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. You're not going to get into heaven any other way but through the door, Jesus. Verse 2. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. That is Jesus, verse 3. To him the porter openeth. Porter is the Holy Spirit, but we'll talk, we can talk about that another time. And the sheep hear his voice, and he, talking about the shepherd, and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out, verse 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, think of an Irish shepherd. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. You ever seen shepherds? There are two kinds of shepherds. One of them drives them. Those are Texan shepherds. <laughs> yeah, get up, mule. But then Irish shepherds and Eastern and, and, and uh, Jewish shepherds, it says this. He goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his what? They know his voice. You know, I hope that you know his voice. 
that you can tell the Holy Spirit is the one speaking to you. I'm preaching as best as I can. But if the Holy Spirit could just speak and you'd go, I, 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 I'm hearing, that's spiritual discernment. It's a quiet voice you can't hear when your headphones are on. It's a quiet voice you can't hear when 96 FM is on. It's a quiet voice you can't hear when you're when they're screaming and yelling in the house. It's a quiet voice you have to hear when you set time aside and you're by your bed or you're in some quiet place in your home and you just read and you're breaking your heart open before God and then you shut up and you just listen and the Holy Spirit says, I hear you. I've got something for you to do today. Just follow my voice spiritual discernment you'd be able to walk into a room you'd be able to go into a place and go i don't belong here mm -mm, I, i'm out of here no thanks no no i'm not staying bye <laughs> that's spiritual discernment don't you think we need it the holy spirit sometimes stops us by physical impossibilities just making things physically impossible to do now that's not so often but sometimes an illness is the holy spirit saying enough Plenty of people I read about on the radio. By the way, I'm on tonight, 8 o'clock, every Sunday night, 8 o'clock. But I read the background on hymns. There are plenty of those hymn writers that we sing, and the joy of those hymn writers was found in their bed while they were unable to be a missionary on some far-off land, and they were bedridden because of some illness. And instead, they wrote hymns about springs of living water. And they wanted so much to be a missionary and go to a foreign field. Instead, they'd write hymns. Let me tell you, sometimes the Holy Spirit hinders us from doing what, we're, what we think is a good thing to do. And by godly counsel, go to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. <clears throat> 11.14, key word is counsel. Listening to godly counsel. Listen to this. Where no counsel is, the people fall. <clears throat> but in the multitude of counselors, there is what? All right, ladies and gentlemen, get influenced by godly people not by everything that's out there on youtube and by the television people used to watch god channel eight hours a day they wonder why they're so messed up <clears throat> you know what you need you need to listen to your mom and dad amen you say i'm 47 years old they probably tell you get a job <laughs> listen to the counsel of godly people Godly Christians, listen to the council. Sit down with your pastor. I am here not to just preach, but to listen and to give you advice. And I may be wrong as, as, as anything, but at least give me the chance to try to help you. you seek counsel from godly people. You know what? Your parents, your pastor, your godly friends might just stop you from making the biggest mistake you'd ever made. So they go to Troas, back to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 8. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. These guys are at Troas, and they kept going until they came to this town called Tro uh, Troas. And Paul, 
is frustrated. They're at the end of the road, so to speak. At this point, they're on the very edge of what we call Asia Minor, the very western point in, in Turkey. Ahead of them is just ocean. And they wonder, are, these, are we supposed to go back into Asia? The Holy Spirit doesn't want us there. Should we go back to Antioch? doesn't seem like that's where the, the Holy Spirit wants us. Beyond them was ancient Europe and Greece and Rome. Up until this point, Paul has been go, go, go. And yet he and Timothy are going to learn to sit and wait for a little while until God shows them a new direction. Because it was at Troas, not in Jerusalem, not in Antioch, but that God was going to give Paul a dream, a vision, somebody way off in a distance. And he found this, this assurance of what he's supposed to do in a place called Troas. Troas was a small town at that point, a few kilometers from the Mediterranean Sea, just back from the sea. It was a very special place. It's really right near, it's known as Troas because right next to it was a, was a broken down town called Troy. So Troas was a new town built up after the ruins of Troy. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2, 12, he says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened unto me of the Lord. God showed me where I was supposed to go. These three men needed to be backed into a corner. They needed to be pushed into Troas. They needed to be found. They needed to be trying to find God's will while doing God's will. All of this way, they have tried to do God's will. They tried to preach, to witness, to teach, to talk, to soul win everywhere they're going. And now they're stopped. And the truth is, we need to get to Troas as well. What I mean by that is Troas was a place where they were doing everything that they were supposed to do. The basics. Are you doing the simple things? Are you doing the basic things like reading your Bible page by page every day? It's so hard. No, you just never have made it a priority. Do you talk to God and ask him for help for everything you do, or you only you only pray when it's a disaster? Do the simple things. People come and they say, I need God, I need God. Well, you needed him actually yesterday too. Coming faithfully to church and hearing this book preached Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. If you did that, I guarantee you'd have you'd have less than half the problems you normally do. Amen. Getting involved in some ministry, serving in this church faithfully, that puts the devil away. He'll come at you from the front instead of from behind. You know, if you just start forgiving everyone who ever hurts you, just do the simple. When God had has pushed Paul and, and, and Silas and Timothy to Troas. They're doing all the right things. And that's where they hear a long-distance call. Look in verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia who prayed him, saying, prayed being begged him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. This is at that time. They've got no place to go. They've got nothing to do, nobody to preach to. Nothing's going on. And he's sitting there quietly. And he rests his eyes for just a few minutes. And then he hears a voice. It's not an angel. It's a voice in his heart. 
a, a dream, a call, a cry. Now, I don't know if you've ever had it, but if you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear somebody crying, help, help, that's what he's doing. What God was doing was God was rerouting a call from a man way over in Macedonia so that Paul could hear it. This is absolutely breathtaking because the Macedonian call is going on right now all over this world. There was a single solitary man way off in the distance, 200 kilometers further west over across the, the vastness of the Aegean Sea. And Paul was listening to it. You know, God reroutes the cry of lost people all the time. Remember, Cornelius was praying, crying out to God every day. He has no idea how to find Jesus, didn't know any way how to get saved. And as he's crying to God, all of a sudden the call is redirect, redirected to who? Peter. And Peter gets redirected. I, I guess I got to go talk to this guy, Cornelius. He never would have gone on his own. But the Holy Spirit redirected the call. You understand that term, redirected? Do you know the cry of the people of Nineveh was redirected to Jonah? And Jonah plugged his ears and says, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to care about them. I want them all to die because they were his enemies. God redirected that call. Paul couldn't see this man's face, but he recognized him as a man from Greece. Strange clothes, European. He was from a region of Greece called Macedonia. And so all the way across, I, my voice could probably carry across the water 200 yards, 300 yards, 200 kilometers. You're not going to hear it. God has to carry that all the way down to Paul. And he hears a passionate request. Come and help us. He's crying out for help. The Macedonian man probably didn't even know what kind of help he needed. You know, I like somebody sitting there and they've got a cup and they're looking for money. What they want is a fix. What they want is just something to get them through the next few hours. So I'll put sometimes a two-euro coin in there and then I'll stick a track. And it says, you will read this when you're sober. You won't need anybody else's money anymore. He doesn't even know what kind of help he needs. But if it weren't for Paul getting this vision, the Macedonian man and ultimately his entire nation would have died with no hope and no savior for probably another decade. There's a sobering fact, folks. Let me say this. The lost call out to God all the time. Remember when you were lost? Didn't you ever try it? Didn't you ever say, God, if you're there? They cry out because of abuse. They cry out because of the hurt in the pain of life. They cry out trying to reach an unknown God. Where are you? I wish you would stop breathing for just a moment and listen. Don't twitch. Don't flinch. Just listen. Because God is hearing their cry and we need to hear it too. Because he sends his people. He could send angels. He has enough angels to do all the work. But what he says is, I made you my sons and my daughters. And I'm asking my sons and my daughters to work to win this world. I could do it, Jesus said. I could send the angels. But the people need to see changed lives. The lost need to see people with joy. They need to hear it from you. 
And so Paul has to make a decision. What's he going to do? Look in verse 10. After he had seen the vision, watch. Let me ask you, don't read any more. Should he ignore the plea? Should he say, well, it's not my problem? Many Christians do. They'll never carry a gospel track with them. They'll never, when the Holy Spirit says, give that person a leaflet. They'll, they'll know on Saturday at 1 o'clock, we're meeting here for soul winning, and they look at their watch, and it's 10 to 1, they'll go, oop. And they won't listen to the redirected call. They won't listen that there are voices crying out. Right now, I know you and I, we got enough problems. We could, we could, we could fill up the wall full of all the problems that we've got. But there's a world lost without hope, without God. They have nothing. You have Christ. Amen. And whatever you're going through, the suffering, the enduring things that you're having to endure, whatever, are nothing compared to hell. Nothing compared to the lostness and the blackness and the emptiness of life without Christ. And we refuse to listen. Should he? Could you? He could not save them. Paul's not going to go over there and be the Savior, but you know what he could do? And I want you to admit this. He could help them. So I, I don't have all the answers. You know, there's some people who are very adept and very well-prepared, what's called um, um, where you, um, um, you can answer Bible questions. Look, it as an A word. Why can't I think of it? Apologetics. apologetics. Thank you. And people can do apologetics. They can answer all the hard questions about the Bible. The rest of us, we're pretty stupid. I can't answer everybody's questions. I can't meet everybody's financial needs, but I can help somebody. Notice the request of this man. Come over and help us. Jesus is the only one that can save, but Christians can't help. We used to have a heart to want to help. Wonderful word. Paul could give that Macedonian man simply the same thing that helped him. That the resurrected Jesus Christ is all you need. So the next morning, Paul wakes up. Look there in verse 10. After he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. He got them up. He got them up on a hill and he pointed out over the Aegean Sea and he said, you know, this flat earth, you know, we, we can see we can see Greece, right? No, you can't see it because it's brown. And as they pointed out over that thing, they said, we don't see it. But 200 kilometers across that Aegean Sea is a land we've never been to. There's a man I've never met, and he needs our help. He said, I got a, I got a call last night from someone over there asking for help. It was a single, solitary, nameless man waiting for us to go and find him. So when they step out into the unknown, think about this. Paul and Silas and Timothy immediately left on the next ship. It says right there in verse uh, 11, therefore loosing from Troas, they got on a boat. We came with a straight course to Salmothracia and the next day to Neapolis and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia. There's a colony, and we're, then, we're in that city abiding certain days. We'll pick up there next week. But they were, they were as sure of their calling as they were sure of their salvation. No debate, no hesitation, and no regrets. They never dreamed of going to Europe. And let me make just one final thought. And yet here they were, 
a bunch of born-again believers in Jesus Christ going into the very heart of ancient Greece. And their preaching is going to change the world in the cradle of modern civilization. Greek thought and Greek wisdom was going to be radically influenced by the Bible and by the gospel. And it's forever was changed. Listen, folks, we owe most of our freedoms to what we call democracy and what we call Greek thought influenced by the gospel. The freedoms that you have come because this book was preached in Greece and influenced all the way to Rome and the, the laws that say the right to silence, the right to, uh, sell, uh, to, to, um, um, to an attorney, the right of, of private property ownership, all of that that we take for granted and that is being taken away from us came because people went and influenced Greek culture and it changed the world. All because somebody heard somebody cry out, help me. One man's cry. Let me finish. Someone's calling out right now. The cry of lost men and women, especially children, is reaching heaven every moment of every day. And don't you think God doesn't care? What about this? And what about that? There's something happening. You just, you and I just don't know. There are people that God is calling right now that want to go to just across the road or across town or across country or across the world. The question is, will we go? Problem is, I don't find many people burdened that the lost are crying out. If somebody came to your door, knocked on the door, and when you opened the door and they grabbed you and says, help me, what would you do? Well, they can't come to you. You're going to have to go to them. Honestly, our, our, our spiritual mobiles are switched off. We're not getting calls anymore. We're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit where he says, Go. I want you to do four things this morning. Number one, I want you to get busy doing the basic things that you know you should be doing. Now you're already in church. I know that. You probably are reading your Bible. But stay. Don't let the devil rob you of that commitment to the basic things that we all do and we must be doing. Secondly, allow the Lord to back you into a corner. To push you to the edge of yourself where you say, I don't know what else to do. I, I, I've done everything. I, I, nothing's working. I tried to go here and it shut down. I tried to go there and the Holy Spirit stopped me. Nothing's working. Allow the Lord to put you in that place because there you will hear another voice. You will hear a call that says, this is the way. If you're not hearing that voice yet, start to get desperate to hear that voice. Well, the, the Lord loves it when his people pray. And I mean pray with the original meaning of the word pray is to beg. See, we pray, oh, God, oh, I thank thee that thou art God of heaven. That's not how you pray. You pray, God, I can't go on another minute. I can't do this. God, I need your help. God, there's something wrong, and I, need, I, want, to, I want to make it right. There's somebody lost, and I want to reach him. Pray desperately like you've never prayed before. And then ask God, God, just one call, just redirect. I, I want to hear my spiritual heart to ring with a call of somebody saying, come and help me. I want to be useful. I want to be of service. I want to make a difference. 
One last question. Maybe there's somebody in here that's crying out for God. But you're not here by accident. You're in a good place. You're in a good place where I'm here to tell you that this book is about you. And this book is about you finding God in Jesus Christ. Not being a good person. Not in having all of your I's dotted and T's crossed. Not in you understanding anything except you're a sinner. You're without hope. You need Jesus Christ and you need to stop trying to be good and trying to be better. You just need to cry out, God, save a wretch like me. Because the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I mean saved, not on your way. But he makes a new person out of you. He washes away the sin. The confusion's still there for a little while until you start reading the Bible. But the joy begins. You're that Macedonian man crying out to God every night. God, if you're there, God, if you're there, why don't you answer me? He answered you bringing you here today. Stand with me. Bow your heads. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Jesus saves sinners. Can you just, can you repeat that in your heart? Jesus saves sinners. That's the good news. He doesn't save good people. He can't save good people because <laughs> they're proud. They got to admit they're a sinner. They got to admit that they're lost. And if you would do that, that's the hardest thing. I know, but it's actually the only thing you got to do is admit you're lost. Finally own up. You've broken God's laws. You missed the mark. So Jesus wants to rescue you today. If you would like, I'll stay. Just come up to me this morning. Let's talk. Before we pray, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to commit. I'm going to go up and talk to Pastor Craig. I, I'm going to get saved today. I'm not just going to pray a prayer. I'm not going to just go through the motions. I, I want to know that I know that I know my sins are forgiven. My guilt is, that, I, that my guilt is gone. That my home is in heaven. That, the, that there's joy for a, for a wretch like me. There's hope. For somebody as lost as me and as blind as me, please come and talk to me. Dear Christian, remember, there are countless people crying out. And the Lord would like to redirect a call to you so that you have a broken heart for them. And that you give them the hope of the gospel. Father, I pray that today we would hear the Macedonian call. Every one of us. Every one of us be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God, and we would beg you, God, keep me going, keep me faithful, even when I hit the end, when I run out of everything I know to do. And then from that moment, show me the next step, but make it a burden. Make it something that says, this is my way for you now. God, give us that. Because we know we've got very little time. Today is a day of salvation. People will die and go off into a Christless eternity, and we got to care. Help us to care today. Again, if somebody's not saved, if they would come up and talk to me afterwards, God, let it be, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.